Welcome to the Do Till Sermons podcast, a ministry of Do Till Church in Cranberry Township, PA. Each week we share the message from our Sunday services. Be sure to click subscribe and follow along every week. Today is the sixth part of our series, Word to the Wise, which explores teaching from the wisdom literature of the Bible. The message is titled Dealing with Differences and is based on Ruth 1. Hear now this week's message from Senior Pastor Tom Parkinson. As we come to the sixth part of this series, Word to the Wise, I, I want to take up today a non-conventional topic in wisdom, and that is, how do you deal with differences? You know, we live in a world that's increasingly connected by technology, in which travel is It actually is simpler than it used to be. It may not always feel that way, but it is simpler than it used to be. And and so perhaps more than any time in the history of the world, people of difference are encountering each other. And there are differences everywhere. There are social differences, cultural differences, ethnic, religious, political differences everywhere. And so if you're gonna be wise today, you gotta figure out how to navigate a world in which there are people who think, act, and live differently than I do. And if you've noticed, we're, as a culture, struggling with this right now. We're a culture that responds to differences with a whole lot of division and polarization. And I think we've all seen that and experienced it. And the question is, how do I live differently? And particularly as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we've got to ask ourselves some really important questions. Like, How can we be really true to our core beliefs while also not being completely dismissive of people with other beliefs? Or how can we love our neighbors as ourselves when the scriptures are pretty explicit that your neighbor is particularly the person who doesn't look like you? Or maybe this question is a good one. How do I disagree with somebody without rejecting them as a person? And better yet, as a culture, how do we relearn this art that disagreement doesn't mean we've rejected each other? We've kind of lost the art of disagreement in this world of difference. So I think about all these questions. I'm like, we need some wisdom for this. And I do think that the book of Ruth in the Old Testament provides quite a bit of wisdom. Now, Ruth is not typically counted among the wisdom literature of the Bible, but I actually think there's a ton of wisdom that we can glean from the book of Ruth. And so with these questions in mind, I want to dive in to the story of Ruth. But as a way of setting it up, I want to share a story that I've shared in some other contexts, so you may have heard me say this in some other contexts, but I think it's a story that's worth repeating. When I was a sophomore in college, I bought my first car. It was a gold Saturn SL2, and it was as beautiful as it looks. <laughs> I, loved, I loved that car, right? I loved that car, and I wanted to take good care of it, and I knew that people that take good care of their cars have the tires rotated, okay? I'd never rotated tires before, but I knew it needed to be done. I don't really like to ask people for help, so I decided I was just going to do it. I mean, after all, when I was a kid, I watched NASCAR, and they changed four tires in 16 seconds. I mean, how hard can it be, right? I didn't have a lot of tools. I just had that, you know those little scissor jacks they give you with the car? That's like what I had. And so I, I crank that thing up on a scissor jack. I take the first tire off, and as soon as the tire comes off, I see the car slump. And much to my dismay, that little scissor jack went up through the floor. And so the scissor jack is now sitting in the floor of the front seat of the car, and there's no tire on it. 
So I know I'm in trouble, but I don't dare ask for help. I actually run over to my parents' house, which is about two blocks away, and I grab a scissors jack out of my dad's car. And I go back and I pop the thing back up on the jack and poof, now I've got two holes in the floor. <laughs> and the long story short is by the end of the day, I had two holes in the floor of the car and the tires still were not rotated. And I have never once in my life successfully rotated the tires on a car. But I tell that story because it illustrates something that is true about me, and that is that deep down I have an aversion to asking other people to help me. And I don't like to do it. And there's a couple of reasons I don't like to do it. One of them is pride. I don't know why, but inside when I ask for help, I feel weak. Does anybody else get that way? I feel kind of like a weakling. It's like, ah, I can figure it out. But then there's a second reason. The second reason is almost a compassionate one. I feel kind of bad for making other people go out of their way to help me. And so I don't, I don't want to inconvenience anybody, so I'd rather just kind of go it alone. And it's not really a healthy thing to not want to ask for help. But I'm not the only one. As a matter of fact, psychologists talk about this specifically in American culture, that in American culture, we experience problems when it comes to depending on other people to help us. And underneath that is the fact that as a culture, we really value our independence, we love the self-made hero, don't we? The person who doesn't need anybody for anything. And we worry about becoming too dependent on others. We think if we become too dependent on others, that's a sign of weakness in us. That's why everybody on the block has a lawnmower. Like, why doesn't like two or three of us own a lawnmower and everybody just use it? No, 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 because I want to mow when I want to mow, right? We wanna, we don't, I don't want to depend on somebody else's mower. I'm going to use my own, right? But you can extend that out across our lives. We don't like to depend on other people. And psychologists actually talk about the fact that while you can have an unhealthy dependence on somebody, you can actually swing in the other direction and you can have unhealthy independence. Unhealthy independence is when we're so isolated from others that people can't help us become better at who we are. You see, there's a reason why we need each other. It's because God made us this way. When Adam, the first human being, was created, he was alone by himself. And God said in the book of Genesis, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Instead, we should make a helper suitable for him. The thought was, Adam needs help. And so Eve is created as a companion. And Adam and Eve are supposed to do what? Help one another. And they're supposed to help one another become better at life. And they're made different. And they're made unique. And together, they're better than they are apart. And it is because our culture so greatly values independence that we struggle to ask each other for help. And somewhere in the midst of that, it makes it particularly hard for us to deal with differences. Because typically, when we find people that are different than us, we see that as a threat. We see that as, as a possible defeat. We see that as a possible strain. And so the result is what we call cancel culture. You're familiar with this phrase, right? Where when we find somebody that doesn't look like us or doesn't agree with us, we just like poof, block them out, right? And we isolate ourselves from each other. And so at, a, at its root, our desire to be independent is actually the thing that makes it hard for us to deal with differences. Well, when we read the book of Ruth, we get all of these things kind of coming together. There are people that are very different from each other, and they all need help in a variety of ways, and somehow, some way, they begin to find help together, and they begin to find God together. And so I think in the story of Ruth, we find some real wisdom for how to navigate a world where people are just different than each other. 
Now, to get the story straight, you've got to know that, that this woman, Naomi, she's an Israelite, and her family, they're forced to leave the nation of Israel because they need help. And the reason they need help is because there's a famine and they can't grow any food. And so they go to Moab. Now, I've got a map I want to show you, and it'll show you that Bethlehem, where they're from, is just across the Dead Sea from Moab. So they're geographically pretty close. But when you cross that Red Sea, you're going into another world. The Moabites were very different from the Israelites. They had different traditions, different cultural backgrounds, different religious beliefs, such that the Moabites and Israelites were referred to as enemies. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, there's actually commandment to the Israelites, never get married to a Moabite. That's like mixing that shouldn't happen. So for an Israelite family to go to Moab means they're kind of desperate for help. And so Naomi and her family, they get there into Moab, and then tragedy strikes because Naomi's husband dies. And so now she's there with her two sons. And her two sons really have no choice. They're settled there in Moab for a decade. They get married to two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And so we suddenly have this blended family of people from very different backgrounds together. And then the tragedy gets worse because Naomi's two sons die. So now Naomi is a foreigner in the land of Moab with no husband and no sons in a world where a woman without a father, husband, or sons to take care of her is pretty much destined for abject poverty. And so Naomi knows, like, life is not good for her. And so she has this logic. Her logic is that Ruth and Orpah need to just stay in Moab and start over again, and she's going to go back to Israel and just live out her miserable days. And her logic is, look, I'm not going to get married again and have children. And even if I did, it's going to be, what, 18 years before they can marry my daughters-in-law? This isn't going to work for them. Why should all three of us endure this misery? And so she says to Orp and Ruth, you stay here. I'm leaving. But Ruth is driven by this sense of commitment to Naomi. It refuses to leave her. And Julie shared this with the kids, but these are some of the most poetically beautiful words in all of the Old Testament. Ruth's words to Naomi. Listen to this, Ruth 1, verse 16. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What beautiful words from Ruth. This Moabite, this stranger, this very different person from a very different place who says, you know what, I'm going to risk everything. I'm going to give up my comfort, my security, my home. I'm going to give up my cultural ties and my family ties to come with you, and I'm going to walk with you even if it leads me to the grave. And don't you know, Ruth goes back to Israel with Naomi. And when she gets there, she ultimately marries an Israelite man named Boaz. And Boaz and Ruth create this interracial family. And they have a son whom they name Obed. And Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son and his name is David. Who is David? The greatest king in the history of Israel. 
And if you go forward 14 generations from there, out of the line of David comes an Israelite named Jesus, such that when you read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, guess whose name is in the genealogy? Ruth. Ruth is the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. And who is she? A Moabite. She looks different. She thinks different. She's from a different place, a different background than anybody in Israel's Scripture ever imagined could be somebody who would be a part of bringing Jesus into the world. And yet she becomes a part of the story of the inbreaking of the gospel. And so when I read this story, I'm like, whoa, what is happening here? I mean, if you read the story of Ruth and you say, where is God in the midst of this story? God is in Ruth. I mean, who is the one who never leaves us or forsakes us, who sacrifices everything to love us, who's willing even to die for our sake? I mean, that's what God does for us in Jesus, right? And that's exactly what Ruth is doing here. So how interesting is it that the person who demonstrates God's love, God's character, God's presence in the story is the stranger? The person who doesn't belong, it's Ruth. So then I read this story and I'm like, okay, we're living in a world that struggles with differences. We're living in a church where we all got to figure out how do we follow Jesus faithfully in a world that says we're different and doesn't know how to deal with differences. I'm like, whoa, there's some wisdom here for us. Now, I think there's probably 30 things here we could learn, but I'm just going to highlight three. Three things we learn from the story of Ruth that give us wisdom for how to deal with differences in our world. The first thing is this. Do not label people, especially people you do not know. Our culture is terrible at this. We like to label people, and once we label them, we think we've got them. Well, that's a Republican. That's a Democrat. Well, that guy's poor. That guy's rich. Oh, oh, oh that guy, yeah, he's French, Right? You know, we, we label people based on circumstances around them, and then we think we've nailed them, but we don't even know who they are. Ruth is a Moabite, and based on her Moabite background, we're not supposed to think of her as the person that's going to bring God's grace and presence into the story. But you let Ruth stand on her own ground as an individual, and all of a sudden you see there's more to Ruth than meets the eye. And that's not just true in Ruth. It's true throughout Scripture. Remember, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, Nobody thought the Samaritan would be the good guy on the basis of what? That he was labeled a Samaritan. But he actually was the good guy. Why? Because he's an individual. Every individual needs to be able to live their own story and tell their own story. Don't label somebody. And don't be surprised when the person you thought wasn't on your side actually is. There's wisdom in Ruth that don't get quick about throwing labels on people, especially if you don't know them. The second little piece of wisdom we get from Ruth is this. We all need the same thing, and there's nobody that's needier than you or than me. Right? At the end of the day, we're all different, but we have the same need. We, we all are imperfect sinners who need the grace of God. We're all human beings who need relationship and love, who need connections and help. That's all of us. And I need it too. And I re when I remember how needy I am, it reminds me that like, I need other people in my life who are different than me, and as a result, I'm gonna humble myself in the presence of others. 
Rather than assuming that I have a stranglehold on everything the world needs, I'm going to say, you know what? I need God and I need, the, I need others. And so I'm just going to be really open to that. And don't forget that we all need the same thing. Ruth needed connections just like Naomi did. Ruth needed a family just like Naomi did. They all were in the same place of need and they found God fulfilling their need together. And then third and finally, a piece of wisdom we get from Ruth's story is that you should always be open to God's presence and grace at work in others and specifically at work in anyone. There's so many times when we look at somebody and we think, that's not a person who can teach me anything about God or about God's grace when they actually can. How many of you like the country singer Jelly Roll? Okay, if you don't know Jelly Roll, look him up, okay? Jelly Roll could have easily been labeled an outcast, right? This is a kid who, from the time he was a teenager, was in the juvenile system. He was in jail over and over and over again. He was the lost cause. What's Jelly Roll doing now? He's writing country music with some explicit lyrics, but country music, okay, that's reaching audiences of thousands and that's bringing hope to people who are addicted, to people who are down, who's calling people's attention to the fact that it's possible to be redeemed, that it's possible to have another life, that it's possible to come out of whatever it is that's holding you down. That's Jelly Roll. And when you look at him, the initial label you place on a guy like that is he doesn't have anything good to offer. Oh, but you should be open because we serve a God who works through strange, odd people who've experienced brokenness in powerful and deep ways. And so when you meet somebody who you disagree with or when you meet somebody whose lifestyle is so radically different from everything you believe in, you don't have to change who you are and what you believe, but you do need to be open to this idea. They're made in the image of God too. And God has the capacity to work in their life just like God can work in yours. And when you become open to that, it doesn't make our differences become easier to navigate necessarily, but it makes us less threatened by them. And then finally, I said there was only three, but I'm gonna give you a fourth because this is a good one. If you are anchored in who you are as a child of God, if you are anchored in your identity in Christ, it makes it so much easier for you to encounter people of difference. Because my anchor point is who God says I am. My anchor point is what Scripture teaches me is true. So I don't have to be right in order to love you. Right? And, and, and I don't need you to be exactly like me in order for me to love you. My, I'm anchored over here in Christ. I'm not anchored in what you think about me. I'm not anchored in you agreeing with me. I'm not anchored in that. It's more important for me to be loved than to be right. And when I begin to remember that, that my identity is in Christ, all of a sudden it changes the way that I relate to people who are different than me. So in sum, the book of Ruth teaches us, don't label people. Remember that we all need the same thing. Nobody's needier than you. Be open to God's grace and presence at work in the life of anyone. And then fourth, remember that you're anchored in your identity in Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you've made us a diverse people, that you've placed us in a diverse world, and we acknowledge, oh God, that in our sin, we have allowed our, our differences to become a source of division, to become a source of bigotry, to become a source of, of prejudice. Uh, but God, we know that, that in the diversity of people that you've made, what you've called us to do together is seek a common truth and a common need that we have in Jesus. So help us to do that, God. Help us to resist the temptation to label others. 
And help us, Lord, to embrace who we are as children of Christ and to respond to people in love to the end that we might bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. For this is our prayer that we offer in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Dutel Church. A great way to respond to the message is to click on the discussion guide in the episode description. The guide is designed to help you reflect on the sermon individually or with a small group. We'd love to have you join us at Dutel Church for our weekly worship services. We worship at 9.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings, and you can worship with us in person or live online at dotillchurch.org. Please join us on the podcast for next week's message. In the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you.